Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message from Pastor Josh Shoemaker. Well, um, we've been talking these last several weeks since Easter about post-resurrection stories. So uh, times in scripture where Jesus appeared to the disciples or others uh, after his death, burial, and resurrection. And so uh, today I want to actually talk to you, kind of wrap up this, uh, I guess you would call it a series that we've been on, um, on the Ascension. This last um, Thursday, uh, for those of you who maybe don't know, this last Thursday was actually Ascension Day. It's the day that we celebrate the, that Jesus uh, uh, giving the commission to the disciples and then ascending then to the Father in heaven. And uh, so it's 10 days before Pentecost. So it was this last Thursday. And then this next Sunday, it's Pentecost Sunday. Amen. We get to party. And Pastor Ron's going to bring the word. So I'm real excited for that. I don't know if he's preaching on Pentecost or not, but I know the Holy Spirit's going to be here. Amen. And so, uh, so today I want to just kind of wrap up this, this series, this, this kind of past thoughts that we've had um, on these post-resurrection stories with the, with the last one of the ascension. So if you have your Bibles, open them up with me to Acts chapter 1, verse 2. If you don't have your Bibles, you can repent and then look at the screen. We're going to start, uh, Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse number 2. It says, just before he ascended into heaven, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation here this morning. Just before he ascended into heaven, he let, left instructions for the apostles he had chosen by the Holy Spirit. After the sufferings of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected from the dead. During these encounters, he taught them the truths of God kingdom, God's kingdom realm and shared meals with them. Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift of the Father that the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days from now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every time they were gathered together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is it time now for you to free Israel and to restore the kingdom? He answered, the Father is the one who sets the fixed dates and times of their fulfillment. You are not permitted to know the timing of all that, has prepared, or that he has prepared by his own authority. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power. And you will be my messengers in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and the distant provinces, even to the remotest places on earth. Right after he spoke these words, the disciples saw Jesus lifted into the sky and disappear into the clouds. As they stared into the sky, watching Jesus ascend, two men in white robes suddenly appeared beside them. They told the startled disciples, Galileans, why are you staring up into the sky? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will come back the same way you saw him ascend. Amen. In verse number three, Jesus makes a statement. I'm actually, uh, 
I, I prepared to talk to you this day, today about the ascension, and we'll talk a little bit about the ascension, but there's a few little nuances here in the beginning of this chapter that we're going to actually spend most of our time with this morning. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says, After the suffering of his cross, Jesus appeared alive many times to these same apostles over a 40-day period. Jesus proved to them with many convincing signs that he had been resurrected from the dead. The New King James says it like this. It says, he also presented himself alive after his suffering with many infallible proofs. Jesus wasn't just talk. He came with proof that he had been resurrected to new life. With many infallible signs and convincing signs, he proved to them that he had been resurrected. Here's my question, though, to you this morning, and guys, I'm coming out punching. My question to you is this. If Romans 6 tells us that we have been resurrected with Jesus, that we have been made alive as he has been made alive, what are the convincing proofs in our lives that let people know that we have been resurrected with Jesus? What are the convincing signs when people look at you, how are they convinced that you share the resurrection of Jesus? What can they point to to be able to say he has been made alive in Jesus? Is it that maybe you're a good moral person and you do moral things and you live a pretty good life. Well, that's, that's good and that's needed. But there are many non-believers, people who don't follow Jesus, who live pretty good, moral, upstanding lives. In fact, I would argue to say that I know some who maybe live a little bit better than some people who follow Jesus. I'm not going to name any names this morning, but you know who you are. No, I'm just kidding. So what, what is it? Is it, is it that maybe... Maybe you don't cuss, you don't drink, you don't smoke, you, don't, uh, you, you go to church and you, you, you make sure you're there every Sunday. Is it that maybe on election day you put the check mark in the right box? What, what is it that makes people know that you are alive in Jesus? You know, all those things are important. But I have a feeling that those things have not been enough to convince the world that the same spirit that raises Christ from the dead has quickened our mortal bodies. Those things are important and they're good and we need to behave and, and, and to do those certain things, but is it enough for people to look at you and say, that person has been resurrected with Jesus? Are they the infallible proofs that we need? I'm telling you, church, I don't think that the world has been able to look at many of our lives and be convinced that we have been made fully alive as Jesus has been made fully alive. I believe that the world is still looking and groaning for the sons and daughters to be manifested. Why has this not been enough? I believe for the most part, we have placed the emphasis of our Christianity on rules and rituals and not on our union with the one who loved us while we were still breaking the rules. We have placed 
the emphasis of our Christianity on rules and rituals and not on union with the one who loved us while we were still breaking the rules. I'm convinced that most of the church, and maybe I shouldn't say, I'm speaking in general terms here, not necessarily just our church, but I'm convinced that many Christians, maybe I should say it that way, have unknowingly followed the path of the Pharisee instead of the path of Jesus. They've unknowingly followed the path of the Pharisee instead of the path of Jesus. Somewhere along the way, we have emphasized rules over relationship. And what do I mean by that? How do I know that? Because honestly, if we were to ask most Christians, what is it about? Oh, it's about relationship with Jesus, right? That's the right answer. That's what we know to say. But if we begin to look at our lives, right? If we begin to look at what we live for, we emphasize certain things in our lives. We emphasize church attendance, which is important. We emphasize and we're, we're careful not to use foul language or we condemn movies that promote homosexuality, promiscuity, extreme violence, all good things not to condone. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you just took a walk alone to be with God? When was the last time you silenced the busyness of the week so that you could just worship him for just a few minutes? When was the last time your prayers were not about what's bothering you or not about what's going on in the world or the issues that you're dealing with? When was the last time your prayer was just simply, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I'm so glad that you're in my life. Jesus, I just want to put my affection upon you. And for most of us, our answer to those things is hardly ever. Most of our Christianity has become about not doing things, not breaking the rules, and it hasn't been about union with the Father. This was the issue with the Pharisees. It wasn't necessarily that they were doing evil things. In fact, they prided themselves on their moral integrity. The problem with the Pharisees was that they misunderstood that God never wanted the rules. The rules was never what he wanted. He wanted the purity of communion that in turn caused us to radiate with the image of the Father. His desire was not to give you a list of do's and don'ts and hope that you don't break them. His desire was that you would become so in union and fellowship with him that you begin to look like him. That he didn't need to give you a list of do's and don'ts because you automatically, because you are so obsessed with staring into his eyes that you begin to mirror his image. You know the father doesn't need rules. God doesn't need rules. He is the epitome of good. No one needs to tell him what's right and wrong because he is what's right. Amen? And here's what we need to learn as Christians. That it's his desire that we become so fascinated with his beauty, so fascinated with his glory, so in tune with him that our eyes are so connected with him that we begin to mirror his image. 
that, that all of the things that we know not to do don't even become appealing anymore because we are so fascinated with his goodness. The rules were never his idea. The rules were put into place to show us, to reveal sin in us, but that was never what he wanted in us. What he wants is communion with him, so much so that we begin to radiate and mirror his image. Amen? So how does one present himself alive? What is the convincing sign that the world is looking for? What is it in, that Romans 6 is talking about that the world is groaning for the sons and daughters to be manifested? What does that actually look like? It's perfect love that casts out fear. Not just coming from the Father, but coming from the sons and daughters. It's perfect peace coming from sons and daughters in a world that is ravished with anxiety and fear and panic. What is the world looking for? The world is looking for those who have joy on the inside of them that is uncontainable and full of glory pouring out of their innermost being. The world doesn't need us to show them how to obey the rules. The world needs us to show them how to live in perfect peace and joy and love just like the Father does. It's perfect love coming from us. It's perfect peace and it's joy uncontainable and full of glory. What is the proof? The proof is a man who is fully alive just as Christ is fully alive. That we are fully alive just as Christ is fully alive and that only happens. We can only walk in the fullness of resurrection life if we walk in union with the resurrected one. If our Christianity becomes about union rather than following the rules, that's when we begin imaging his or mirroring his image forth into the earth. When we become so fascinated with him that we begin to look like him. Amen. In verse number three and four, it says that during these encounters that the disciples had with Jesus, it says this, it said he taught them the truths of God's kingdom realm and this is the one I wanna to point to this morning. He shared meals with them. Simple. He taught them the kingdom and he shared meals with them. In other translations, in the New King James, it says, and being assembled together with them. That word assembled is the Greek word sunilezo, which means to eat with with an emphasis on fellowship. Jesus ate with them. He had fellowship with them. Jesus appeared to his disciples at least 11 times in the 40-day period that he, uh, before, he was, uh, uh, before he had ascended to the Father. And in many of these encounters, they shared a meal together around the table. Not really what you would expect, right, from God coming to earth, right? They just sat around a table and ate meals together and talked about the kingdom, which tells me two things. Number one, food is important. 
Food's important to Jesus, and if it's important to Jesus, food's important to me. Amen? And maybe a little bit more importantly, it tells me this. It tells me that being a Christian is not a business transaction. It's not, I'll go to church every week if you let me in heaven. It's not that kind of exchange. There is an exchange, but that's not the one. Being a Christian is truly about one thing, friendship. Friendship. In Mark chapter three, if you have your Bibles, again, you can flip to Mark chapter three with me. I wanna show you something here. This is when uh, Jesus is first starting his ministry and he is calling his 12 disciples And this is what it says in Mark chapter three, verse 13. It says, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to himself the men he wanted to be his close companions. Listen to that language. Who did he call? He called the men he wanted to be his close companions. So they went up to the mountainside to join him. He appointed the 12 whom he named apostles. He wanted them to be continually at his side as his friends and so that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons. I want you to see here, this is the call of the disciples. And the first thing that they are called to, before they are called to preach, before they are called to spread the gospel, before they are called to heal the sick and to cast out demons, the first thing they are called to is friendship. The first thing they are called to is companionship with Jesus. He didn't pick these men because they were the best speakers. He didn't pick these men because they had the greatest faith. Need I remind you, when Jesus did raise from the dead, none of them believed it, except for the women. You women are awesome. (laughs) But the guys, other than John, None of them believed that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So he didn't pick them because of their great faith, right? He didn't pick them because they were powerful men with authority and with an image in the, in the, in the culture around them and with influence. He didn't pick them for any of these things. He picked them simply because he wanted them to be his close companions. These were the guys he wanted to spend the next three years pouring into. These were the ones that he wanted to have the conversations with that he wasn't gonna have with anybody else. These were the ones that after he performed the miracles and after, after, after he laid his hands on the sick and they recovered, they were the ones that he wanted to go back to the house and talk with and be excited with about the things that was happening in the world. These were the ones he wanted to share those moments with. He picked them not because they were some great influential people, but because he just wanted to be their friends. Their first call above the mission, above the ministry, their first call was to be friends with God. Consider this, when Jesus is resurrected from the dead, we've talked about this the past several weeks, but it's worth highlighting again. When Jesus is resurrected from the dead, he first visits Mary Magdalene. 
a young girl from a small fishing town whom he cast seven demons out of. He then meets up with two guys who are walking on the road to Emmaus and talks with them. Later that night, he steps into a locked room with a few disciples that were hiding for fear of their lives. And he proves to them that he had been raised from the dead and shares a meal with them. Later on, he catches up with Peter on the shore of Galilee and sits with him by a fire and shares a meal with him. Then later on, he comes back into that room with the disciples to see them again, but not just to see them again. He came back for Thomas, who apparently was out getting the snacks for the rest of the disciples the first time he came. So he comes back just to see his friend Thomas. None of these men, none of these women were people of influence. None of them powerful. Let me ask you, if you were trying to initiate or spark revival, or if you were trying to prove to as many people as possible that you had been resurrected from the dead, <coughs> that you truly are the Son of God sent from heaven, if that was your goal to spread that message to as many people as possible, wouldn't you visit the king? Wouldn't he be the first one you go to? Or at least the Pharisees who were the ones who, yelled, who called for his crucifixion? Wouldn't you go to the ones who were prominent in the city who could spread your message faster than anybody else? But Jesus doesn't do that. Who does Jesus visit? His friends. The ones that are considered the lowest in the city. The ones who don't have any, good re any reputation among the people. The ones who nobody knows their name. Those are the ones he visits because those are his friends and those are his companions. Because our first call is not ministry. Our first call is not uh, mission. Our first call is friendship with God. He appears not to powerful men, but to his friends. I want to remind you this whole thing, all of creation started in a garden. Not with a church service, not with the preaching of the word, not with ministry, but walks in the cool of the day. When he created Adam and Eve, he would visit them in the garden and he would just walk with them and have companionship and communion with them. The other day, this, earlier this week, I, I was listening to a podcast that was actually confirming a lot of what I was preaching here this morning, talking about friendship with God. And one of this, these, this gentlemen was uh, talking about how he had recently just begun to um, uh, put walking, uh, just going on walks and praying into his daily routine and how it had really just been good for him. And so, um, it was a beautiful day out, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do that. So I, I grabbed my dog, and, and we just go out for a walk. And I'm thinking, all right, God, I've got a lot of things to say, right? <laughs> I've got a lot of content that we need to cover on these next couple of miles that we're going to be walking. So I immediately just begin praying, and I begin telling the Lord all that's going on and all the things I just have questions about, all the things I just, uh, I'm struggling with or, or things going on just that I need wisdom on. 
And on the, in the middle of that walk, the Lord just interrupts me. And he, and he, actually, he, he actually says to me, he said, hey, let's just be quiet. Have you ever had the Lord tell you that? That's, <laughs> there's nothing more intimidating than God saying, hey, hey, why don't you just shut your mouth for a second? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, okay. He, he said, just be quiet. And he said, let's just walk and let's just be together. Let's just forget about all of those things for a little bit and let's just commune with one another and just enjoy creation and, and the sounds of, of, of creation and the sound of the windmills going, you know, all of those things. Let's just enjoy being together. This is the core of our Christianity. The mission is important, as we're gonna see here soon. Ministry is important. Leading good, moral, integrous lives is important. But that's not the foundation. That's not why we're doing all of this. We're doing all of this because of the walks in the cool of the day. Because before he ever called the disciples apostles and disciples, he called them friends and companions. You know, when Jesus, when, when the father wanted to prophesy about the coming of Jesus, he tells the prophet hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born what his name would be. And he didn't tell him that his name would be king, although he is king. He didn't tell him that his name would be ruler, although he is ruler and he is Lord. He said his name will be Emmanuel that what I want the world to know and to prepare for hundreds of years before it comes is that his name will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the message that he wanted them to know, that I'm coming to tabernacle among my people and to be with you. This whole thing is about friendship. So Jesus appears not to powerful men after his resurrection, but he appears to his friends. But get this, he appears to his friends and then he makes his friends powerful. He didn't appear to powerful men, he appeared to his friends, but then he goes and he makes his friends powerful. Let's look here now in verse four. In verse four, I gotta go back to Acts. Let me jump back over. Where's Acts again? Does anybody know? Acts chapter one, starting in verse four. Jesus instructed them, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait here until you receive the gift I told you about, the gift the Father has promised. For John baptized you in water, but in a few days now, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And let's skip down now to verse number eight. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be seized with power and you will be my messengers to Jerusalem throughout Judea, the distant prophecies and even to the remotest places on earth. So yes, Jesus didn't at first appear to powerful men. He appeared to his friends, but then Jesus takes his friends and he makes them powerful. Let me tell you something, church. You are called to change the world. 
You are called to be witnesses of him on this earth, to represent the king and his kingdom on this earth. That when Jesus came, he began the ministry of reconciliation and restoration. And before he sends up into heaven, he releases that responsibility to you. And then he empowers you to carry on the mission of ministry and reconciliation and redemption to the world. That you are his friends and he has given you power and authority to accomplish his mission. Amen? That you have been seized with power. In verse 9 and 11 it says that they watched Jesus ascend into the clouds. And then this part's kind of funny to me. They watched Jesus ascend into the clouds and the Bible says that they just stood there staring. I could just see them with their mouths just hanging wide open, right? Just staring into the clouds. As they're staring into the clouds, there's two men that appear to them and they're angels that appear to them. And they say, they say, why are you guys just staring into the clouds, right? There's not much grace here, is there? Like, like, come on, give me a break. Jesus literally just floated into the air. Like, I think I've earned the right to stare for a second, right? But he says, why are you staring into the clouds? That Jesus has gone to the Father. Eventually he's going to come back. What is it that their angels are trying to say? Listen, don't just stay staring into the clouds. He is giving you a mission and a responsibility to fulfill on this earth. He's going to come back, but in the meantime, you have a responsibility and he has empowered you to walk out that responsibility. I'm afraid too many of us are still caught staring into the clouds. Right? We're still staring into the clouds, waiting for that day Jesus comes back. And listen, church, I cannot wait for the day where that eastern sky splits apart and we see that the king of glory come into, through the clouds on the white horse and come back to this earth and fully, fully restore it to where he wants it to be. I can't wait for that day, but I want to tell you something, church. You have a responsibility in the meantime. Don't be caught staring into the clouds. Don't be caught staring into the clouds, just waiting for all of this to pass. You have been empowered to fulfill his ministry and his mission on this earth. You have been given the responsibility of reconciliation. And the disciples didn't. They didn't just stay staring into the clouds. The disciples met a poor man, Peter and John, a broken man at the gate called Beautiful, who was lame from his mother's womb. And they said, silver and gold have I not, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, take up your mat and walk. And the man got up and walked. They didn't stay staring into the sky. They went on, there was another a man named Philip, another apostle, who preached to an entire Samaritan village, a people who wanted nothing to do with Jehovah God. A people that were discarded by the religious. And he preaches to that village, and the entire village receives Jesus as their Savior. These men didn't keep staring into the sky. They went on to fulfill the mission. There was another man named Ananias who met... A, fa a man famous for killing other Christians. 
who was bound by the spirit of religion. And this man had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this man named Ananias went, laid his hands on this man, and he received the Holy Spirit and became Paul, one of the greatest disciples to ever walk the face of the planet. Peter met a group of people who were mourning for the death of a lady named Tabitha. Peter goes into the room where Tabitha is laying lifeless. Peter turned to her and said, Tabitha, wake up and arise. And her eyes immediately opened and she sat up fully alive. These men didn't keep staring into the sky. They wanted to see Jesus again, but I'm telling you, they weren't looking into the sky. They were fulfilling the mission that he had given them, that he had empowered them to fulfill. But here's how I wanna close here this morning. Even in that, even though they were fulfilling the mission that had been given them, even though they were doing the ministry and they were doing the things that they were called to do, they always came back to center friendship with God. They never left friendship with God. How do I know that? You can read it throughout scripture, but I wanna highlight this here to you now. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John the beloved, one of the apostles, who performed many of these miraculous ministries and who, who fulfilled his mission on the earth. He says this, he says, we saw him with our own eyes. I want you to listen to the language John uses. He isn't describing some leader that he had or some, some figure. He's describing a person that he had communion in relationship with. He says, we saw him with our very own eyes. We gazed upon him and heard him speak. Our hands actually touched him, the one who was from the beginning, the living expression of God. This life giver was made visible and we have seen him. We testify to this truth. The eternal life giver lived face to face with the Father and has now dawned upon us. So we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard about this life giver so that, he, so that we may share and enjoy this life together. For truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his son Jesus, the anointed one. At the end of John's life, it's believed that John wrote 1 John 2nd and 3rd towards the end of his life. At the end of his life, you don't necessarily read about his exploits and his missions. You read about his fellowship with the one who was from the beginning. You learn about his companionship with Jesus of Nazareth. After all these years of ministry, what he's still talking about at the end of his life is his friendship with this man named Jesus. That word fellowship there at the end is this really powerful word that's used in scripture many times. This word is, called, this word is pronounced koinonia. It means to participate as a partner. 
to partake of, to be companion with, to have fellowship with. And this is the word John uses to describe his relationship with the Father and his Son, Jesus, the Anointed One. Koinonia. So many people in the church have tried to skip the friendship part and go straight to the mission. But I want to tell you the mission does not work without the friendship. And I don't think a lot of times we even realize we're doing it because we're so driven that we forget that it's more important for us to be in the prayer closet than it is on the mission field at times. That first we have to have friendship. That is our first call. And then the mission. First friendship and then the mission. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand together this morning. Father, I pray this morning that today would be a call to come back to friendship. Father, that today would be the day where we come back to sinner. Father, even in our, uh, in, our, in our right motives even, sometimes we have put the mission in front of relationship. Father, I pray that today that we would be restored back to our relationship and communion with you. That our prayer time and our, our, uh, our devotion to you would look less like trying to obey the rules and more like reflecting your image. That would look less like complaining and more like being with the one that we love and that loved us before we ever loved him. God, I pray that you would restore the fellowship of communion in us. Restore the fellowship of communion, Jesus. God, may we get back to, Lord, your word actually says that you came to restore and to save that which was lost. And what was lost was the walks in the cool of the day in the garden. What was lost was companionship. What was lost is communion and fellowship between the Father, Son, and Spirit in us. Father, you came to restore that relationship. Father, may we not put that on the back burner of our lives, but God, may it be front and center once again. God, that we would walk with you once again in the cool of the day. God, that our prayer time would be about fellowship once again that our worship would be about fellowship and communion and connecting with your heart, that we may mirror your image once again to the world around us. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for overlooking friendship for mission. And once again, Lord, that you would put us back on the path of beloved devotion in communion with you, Father, that we would walk in koinonia, that we would walk in koinonia with you, partnership 
and fellowship once again. We're going to take just a few minutes this morning as Paul sings this song. And I just want to encourage you before we leave and before we take on the rest of the day, let's spend just a few minutes allowing the Holy Spirit to come and to recenter our focus, to recenter why we said yes to Jesus in the first place, which was friendship with the Father. So as he sings, go ahead and just, just spend some time with the Lord. You're welcome to come to the front if you, if you want to do that. You're welcome to stay there in your seat. Just spend some time now just reflecting on the goodness of God and recentering your friendship with him.
nothing else, nothing else will do. I'm caught up in your presence. I just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this holy finish with just singing that tag and making that declaration together this morning. I just want you. I just want you. Just lift up your voice and declare that this morning. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. just want you nothing else nothing else nothing else will do I just want you nothing else nothing else nothing else will do Father, that's our heart cry this morning. Nothing else will do. Nothing else fulfills. God, only relationship and fellowship with you, only friendship with you fulfills the desires of our hearts. So Father, we say yes to friendship once again. We recenter our lives back into focus on friendship with God. Father, we honor you today. We thank you for your presence here. We thank you, Lord, that you don't ever leave us, but God, your word says that you are in us and we are in you. And we dwell in perfect fellowship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. God, we honor you in that today and thank you for it. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.